Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 254. You have to have something to believe in, I think. You know, I have to be inspired every day, and I want to work with people who are inspired as well. And part of my job is to, to make sure they are inspired, and that is setting a standard and knowing that we're going to meet that standard every day with every meal that we serve. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. All right, so with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mike Gibbons. Mike, I hope you're feeling unstoppable, man. (laughs) I always feel unstoppable. Yes, sir. That is what we're going for. So uh, Mike Gibbons got his start in the restaurant industry as a waiter while attending Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. Upon graduation, Gibbons transferred to Michigan, accepting a position as an assistant manager and quickly advancing to a general manager, regional manager, and later director of training before embarking as a restaurateur. In 1979, Gibbons joined forces with Dennis Sirius, and in 1981, along with Dieter Bohm, founded Main Street Ventures, Inc. Fast forward 36 years later, and Gibbons is a successful restaurateur operating uh, businesses in five different states as president and CEO of Main Street Ventures, Inc. And if my count's correct, is it around 20 restaurants now? 20 restaurants, that's correct. Awesome. Congratulations on all of your success. And I left out a whole bunch, too. I mean, you've accomplished so much in your career as a restaurateur, but we only have so much time in the introduction to cover it all. So um, that's just a quick aerial view of who you are, what you're all about. I can't wait to get your story and how you got to where you are today. But before we do that, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? I have two, and and uh, they're both written on the wall at the office. And the first one was by Winston Churchill, who said, "We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give." And and the second one is really a newer one. It was by Fritz A. Woods, who was the CEO of the Women's Food Service Forum, and she spoke and, and was also on the board of the National Restaurant Association. And she spoke to us one day, and talking about her life and what gave her purpose. And she said she was deeply committed to living a purposeful life. And to her, that meant impacting the lives of others in a positive and meaningful way. And and that just struck me. And I, I wrote it down that day so that I could keep it. And it's on my, it's on my wall in front of my desk. Yeah. And, you know, I've learned so much just from studying successful people like yourself. And one thing that just happens over and over again, is I see that the people who are successful in this industry, they're successful because their their main focus is giving and impacting others and not making it about themselves. And 
really being there to help others achieve their dreams and being the the vessel for the for it to happen uh the the outlet and creating these outlets for people to express themselves uh and i f- have a feeling that's going to happen today listening to you you're going to share examples like that do you want to add to anything i just said no no i think you covered it awesome so um Let's kind of go back in time. Uh, you are a student at Xavier. You're uh, a, a server. Is this when you kind of knew that you were going to make a career? Or like, when did you know that uh, the hospitality industry was going to be your your uh, life career? Well, you know, I actually even started before that. I don't talk about this very often, but you'll like this one. My first job was a fish fryer for Long John Silver's. Oh, cool. And 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 I I uh, I was 18 years old and. It was uh, going to be a part-time job during the summer, and I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, but I ended up getting fired. <laughs> I was I was eighteen. I'd become the general manager of a store, and immaturely thought wow. they needed me more than I needed them. And I think it was one of the one of the best things that ever happened to me in 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 my life because I I, I really started to understand what working was and what working for other people was and what was expected and what wasn't expected. So when I when I went back to school, uh, you know, I, I started. There was a new restaurant that opened in Cincinnati, and I saw it on the board at school and applied for the job uh, with Charlie's Crab. And and originally, my partner Dennis was the kitchen manager there, and Dieter Bohm was the vice president of that company. It was called the C. A. Muir Corporation, uh, and it's no longer in existence. But I uh, I was hired as a car parker and you know Dennis always talks about that that I was hired as a car parker but in fact I never parked a car I became a host and then a bartender and then eventually became a waiter and then uh, when I graduated uh, they asked me to go into management with them and Dennis was then up in uh, Cleveland at one of the Charlie's Crab units and he wanted me to come up there and I I went up and looked around and you know it didn't really uh, fit what I was looking for. And then uh, the company asked me if I'd be interested in moving to Ann Arbor. And I came up to Ann Arbor and looked around and I loved it. And my goal at that point was to go to law school. So I thought this is perfect. I had taken the LSATs and I'd applied to a bunch of schools. I hadn't applied to Michigan at that point, but I thought I'm going to apply to Michigan. And uh, shortly after I got out of school, I, I got married. And then before I knew it, I had two kids. I had twins. And so, uh, Game changer. The, the, the idea of going to working full time, going to school and, and raising a family were, were, was a daunting thought. Oh yeah. And fortunately for me, I was really enjoying working. I worked at a restaurant called the Gandy dancer in Ann Arbor. I came up as a dining room manager and then eventually became the general manager there. And, and I, I just fell in love with the business. Awesome. Uh, you know, it was, every day was different. Every day was fun. Uh, you know, you, you had, you had a, hundred things going on every day and it just it just really energized me so uh and i've never looked back i never never wanted to do anything else and and i still don't yeah was there a moment um where you can reflect upon where you made the decision to i mean you had a lot of you know variables influencing your decision to stick with uh the hospitality industry but was there a moment in time where you kind of made the commitment to yourself that this is going to be your focus that this is going to be what you dedicate your life to you know, I, I think I think really it, it even came a little bit later than that because I was still learning. I was still young when when Dennis and I got together. I was 27, and when I first went out on my own. And the thing I noticed right away when I worked for Mirror, there were a dozen managers I could call for 
for ideas or thoughts or solving problems. And all of a sudden, there was a vacuum. There was that void, you know, that pool of resources wasn't right down the hall from me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it made me it made me really do some of the things you talked about earlier. Started reading some some leadership books. Starting list. I. I I travel about an hour back and forth to work every day. So I'd listen to tapes, you know, books on tapes oh, and, my and favorite. <laughs> really, really tried to, to hone my skills. And, and, and then I, I just, I just loved it. You know, I just really enjoyed what I was doing and there was nothing more exciting to me than, than really kind of creating the, you know, the, the aspects that came, you know, the, the design of a restaurant, you know, coming up with the concept, the creation of that, developing the menu, uh, creating the look and the feel of the restaurant and, and then, you know, breathing life into it by putting, by putting the, the training systems in place with a team of people and, and getting them excited about it, inspired to do it. And so that, that once that hit, you know, it was, it was what I wanted, you know, awesome. it gave me, gave me such a, such a fulfillment because there were so many components to it. Yeah. And I'm curious, uh, one of the, the, the issues that come up often on the show or the challenges that come up often on the show is people, um, finding partners and partnerships, not working out. And, uh, all of a sudden they're left by themselves and they're overwhelmed and the, the restaurant ultimately fails, but it seems like you did a really great job in selecting your partner. So, uh, talk about the relationship between yourself, Dennis and, uh, Dieter. How long were you guys working together, uh, before 1979 is when you decided to go out on your own, but how long were you working together? Like when did you all meet and how did that, that relationship between the three three of you evolve into something where you could trust these two other guys to go into business with? Well, we met, we met in 1973 when I was in college and, and uh, Dieter was the vice president of the Muir corporation. And so he was down, he was vice president and director of operations. So he, he did the training program that, that when I was the, when I was the hourly employee being trained and Dennis was the kitchen manager there. So that's when we first met. And, uh, you know, Dennis and I kind of, uh, and Dieter lived in Detroit. So I, I did not know him very well. I'd see him occasionally down there, but you know, he was, he was one of the big bosses, not, not even someone who was working locally. And Dennis and I just got to be friends. Uh, we played a little golf, you know, we, we you know, things like that. And then when it was interesting because when, when, uh, I was transferred to, to, uh, Ann Arbor, Dennis was already back in Ann Arbor and he was working on his first restaurant and I, I stopped in to visit him and he says, I got to send Chuck Muir a note thanking him for paying for your transfer. So I didn't have to do it, <laughs> and, uh, but we didn't get together till several years later. Uh, and then, uh, when Dennis and I got together, it was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, we did our first restaurant and I felt I felt really a, a vacuum from what I had before, you know, people that I could go to. And and frankly, uh, D- Dennis was an alcoholic, and I guess he's always an alcoholic. He's a recovered alcoholic now. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it I felt shortly after that, boy, this is not going to work long term. You know, I've got to I've got to figure something else out. And Dieter, after I left Muir, would come out. We'd have dinner occasionally. You know, he and I got to be close as, as I grew up in his company. And, uh, you know, I became uh, a director of training and a, and a regional manager for them. And and I know he was very disappointed when I left. And he came out and, and several times offered for me to come back. And I said to him, you know, you always talked about going out on your own. Why don't you join us? And that was kind of a joke because we had two restaurants. Yeah. And he, and he was an owner of the Muir Corporation and was their vice president. 
And one particular day, uh, we were just going to open our third restaurant, Dennis and I. And, and again, I said something to him about it. And two days later, he called me and said, well, were you serious? And I said, well, or he said, did you speak to Saris about it? Because he and, he and Dennis had not always been on friendly terms. And if you, if you met the two, you'd, you'd really understand it. <laughs> Dieter is, is German, and he was born in Germany, and he is detailed to the T. To the and, and Dennis is loosey-goosey, shoot-from-the-hip, risk-taker. Wow, boy. And, and so I was kind of the middleman there. And, and so when he said, did you talk to Saris? I said, well, no. And he said, oh, well, hell, this won't work. And I said, well, let me talk to him. And when I first talked to Dennis, he goes, what the hell do we need him for? You know? And I said, Dennis, we're not going anywhere. I said, I, we, we, need, we need someone who's been through this. We need someone who knows how to do what we want to do. And, and Dieter could be our mentor. And that's kind of what happened. D, you know, Dieter had opened multiple restaurants. You know, he'd worked all over the world. And, and so he brought some real talent to us. And uh, so he joined us, and we hired an executive chef, and then we worked together. So that was in 81, and Dieter retired in 2000. And, uh, you know, I kid about this. I said, you know, Dieter retired in 2000, and, and Dennis and I bought him out. I didn't realize Dennis was retiring at the same time. He just didn't tell me. So he's still, he's still uh, getting a paycheck every day, but he, he, he and Dieter kind of left at the same time. I mean, there's a few things I'm picking up here listening to you, Mike, and the the big one is the power of surrounding yourself with people who are better or more experienced than you are, uh, and there's so much that you can do just to save yourself, to save your career by just having somebody with that experience, having somebody with that foresight and knowing what to do and, uh, and just living it already. And you're going to waste money. You're going to waste time figuring it out and failing on your own. And I think that was just a, a really great move on your part. Uh, and I'm curious, what was it about, uh, Dieter's situation where he wanted to get out of the situation he was in? Cause it sounds like he was working for a decent restaurant group. What, why wasn't he happy? He, what, what, what was your, well, I think, yeah, I think part of it, there, there were a couple, a couple pieces of that. I think one, one, uh, he didn't feel like, he didn't feel like it was his. And uh, I think that was part of it. He all, and I remember him saying so many times, you know, <clears throat> he was going to make a decision as to, as to whether to stay with the company or go out on his own by the time he was 40. And about the time I was talking to him, he must have been 42 or 43. And I said, you always said you're going to make that decision. And I don't think you made the decision yet. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, no, I haven't. Do you think and he so this was, Sorry, go ahead. This was, I think this just was an opportunity for him. Uh, I think he, he and I respected each other and felt – I think he felt that I was the future and he could get me to, to, to the place that, that I needed to be. And, and so he felt like he brought to the organization something that was very important. And I, I felt like he believed in me enough to know that I could carry it out. So what did he see in you? If you could like bring it down to a couple of things, like, I mean, you, you said, you know, you, you've explained what his assets were and you, I'm still not really sure what Dennis's assets were, but what were your assets? Like, what did you bring to the team? Uh, you know, I, I think probably a, a, a tenacity. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I came in, uh, particularly, I, you know, the, it's one thing that's funny thing that long John silver experience where I got fired really drove me. And why and, did you get fired? You said it was because of, uh, you, you thought your value was more than what they thought, or I think, I think I smarted off to the boss or something like that. You know, I can't remember exactly what I did, 
but I knew when I did it, I was wrong. Okay. And, and, uh, you know, and I did it because I thought he needed me more than I needed him. And, and I guess he showed me that wasn't the case. <laughs> so you and, said that changed you, that really impacted you. Well, one thing I learned from that is that success not a, is not a given. You know, I, I grew up in a big family. I'm the oldest of eight kids. Okay. And our parents I, I have, have always instilled in us that if you, if you do your best, you're, you're going to succeed. Well, that's not necessarily true. It takes more than just working hard. <clears throat> and so I think, you know, it's, it's realizing that from the Long John Silver's experience that success wasn't a given. I think it, I think it drove me. So, and and it gives me that tenacity and focus to 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 want to to want to build something that that I could be proud of. You said it's and, more uh, than just working hard. What what else is it? What what else do we need aside from just working hard and tenacity to be successful? Well, I think one thing is experience, and since I didn't have it, I could draw on Dieters. Mm. But the other thing, and and I really really believe in training. So you know, I think it takes time to build a solid foundation before you put a house on it. Mm-hmm. And if you, if, if you want the house to last, that foundation better be strong. And I think that the basis for a multi-unit company is building great systems. You know, my dad spent his whole life with uh, AT&T, and, and I remember their tagline back then. I don't know. It was either it was the, uh, the solution is the system, or I, I think it might have been the system is the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought about that with regard to us and trying to create a system of running a restaurant. So our training system is very detailed. <clears throat> and I believe that Nike thing where it says it never ends, training never ends. And that's true for us. Training never ends. Mm. We, we train every, every day. We train, we have uh, food classes every week in every restaurant. We have tastings every week, but you know, people can't perform if they're not given the appropriate tools. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've developed, I don't want to say the formula, but recipe manuals. We, we don't have anything being prepared in our, our restaurants that doesn't have a recipe uh, that has been approved by our corporate chef. We have a standard procedures manual, which is kind of the management Bible. So if a manager runs into a problem they've never run into before, they can go online and look it up. And it says, what do you do if someone left, left their purse? What do you do? You know, and, yeah. and so everything that, that can be thought of is in there. So it sounds like we have an employee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have employee handbook, which is, you know, the general guidelines for, for what our expectations are of each of our employees and, and what they can expect from us. <clears throat> we have training manuals for every job. And the goal is to leave nothing to chance. And, and another quote I really loved was John Wooden. He said, if you don't have time to do it right, when we have time to do it over. Mm. And, and I really believe that applies to building this foundation for an organization by having the right systems. And, you know, somebody looks at our company and say, God, it looks so complex. How do you have all these concepts? <clears throat> and I said, you know, if you have the, the chassis, we're just putting a different body on that chassis because the system that we operate under is the same in all the restaurants. And so we put a different face on it or, you know, you know, it's like saying, uh, you know, Ford makes six models that go on one chassis, but they all look different, but they operate the same. Mm. And, and so I think that's really been uh, one of the secrets to the success that we've had. And I'm curious. I mean, it's it's great to, you know, to, I, I mean, we know that it's important and we recognize it as important. But I, I feel like a lot of people, when they're starting their first restaurant, they look at that 
that project that it's so intimidating. It's so overwhelming. Not to mention, usually people don't really figure it out until the the train's moving or the plane's flying. And this is a quote from, I think it was Jeff, Jefferson Macklin uh from uh, out here in Boston, he said, you know, running a restaurant's like trying to repair a plane while it's flying. And if you don't take the time to put all these systems, processes, procedures, protocols in place before you start, before you open, um, to try to find the time when you, your doors are open and you're trying to, to deal with everything else, like, uh, what's your advice for that person who feels overwhelmed right now and doesn't see themselves having the time um, to, to create those systems, processes, procedures. I mean, if you could go back to day one, what would be the first thing that you would do with all of your experience? Well, exactly what I'm talking about. Build that standard procedures manual so that, so that when you're talking to someone, you're all talking the same language. Mm. I think that's, that's critical. So, and, and for someone who says, I don't have the time, I just go back to this quote. If you don't have the time to do it, to do it right, when are you going to have the time to do it over? And you have to make the time or, you know, once the plane takes off, you're not going to fix it. It's coming down. Mm-hmm. So you have to take pl- time while the plane's on the ground to, to do the proper maintenance on it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, I, you know, again, it's, it's build the foundation before you put the house up yeah. or the house is going to fall down. And um, what kind of – give me just a couple examples of the types of things that y- you would see inside the standard operating manual uh, just to kind of paint the picture for maybe some of those who are kind of curious as to where exactly to start. Like, the, What's the first thing somebody should write um, or try to, to add a process to? Well, our first page is our mission statement, and, and you know, it, it goes from there. You know, there, there are several things in there from the very beginning that kind of – Outline. So, it ta- you know, our mission statement is to consistently exceed guest expectations by providing memorable dining experiences in creative and distinctive restaurants. <clears throat> so what should be in the manual then is everything you need to be able to do that. Mm. And that's that's what I'd say. And, you know, in order in order for, you know, the, the, the team to buy in from the dishwasher to the cook to the manager, no one can drop the ball. And so everybody has to buy into that mission statement. And so then you, then you back that up and you say, okay, well, this is how we do that. And it'll have everything in there from the management training systems to uh, how you deal with the tip credit, how the point of sale system works, everything you can think of that goes into operating a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm curious, um, you said, you know, you obviously put a lot of mis- emphasis on training uh, also. And what does training do with culture? We haven't really spoken much about culture, and I'm assuming that that's a huge part of your success as well because it's so incredibly important. So how does this all impact culture? Well, I think one of the big things is when, when, when you, if we hire someone to be a server with us, they spend a week in a classroom before they wait on a table, and then they, then they shadow people. And by the time they wait on a table – we expect them to be a professional waiter, proficient in their job. And they take real pride in that. They, they know that they could have gone next door and worked on that floor the next day, but they wouldn't have known what they were doing. And now they're, they're, they're a professional. Now they understand, you know, they know the food, they know the wine list, they know the beverage list, they know the menu, they know all the ingredients. And, and the time has been taken to teach them how to serve properly, you know, drinks from the right, uh, food from the left, how to clear tables. I mean, everything that goes into it, mm-hmm. uh, we have se- what we call seven steps to quality service, and they learn those seven steps. Awesome. So I, I think that in itself 
is a culture. And then I think the other thing is <clears throat> all of our restaurants are scratch kitchens. You know, everything from, from the soups to the salad dressings to the sauces are made in-house. We bake our own bread. You know, we, 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 we buy the highest quality products. We deal with Foley fish out of Boston. Uh, we, we deal with, you know, when we have uh, certified Angus beef, we, we, you know, we work with our vendors regularly. We go to Boston, you know, once or twice a year to meet with our vendors. We send our managers up there for training. <clears throat> so we have very close relationships with all of our suppliers. So you, when uh, you, say you, you send your managers for training, is it for training on the food, training on the, the where they're sourcing the ingredients? Yes, very specifically. Say say we send them to Boston, and we send them to the Foley School of Fish, and so they'll they'll go to the docks. They'll watch the fish come in off the boats, follow it through the day, and they'll when they come back, they know that we're buying the best fish that money can buy. Why is that so important that they know that? Well, I think again, it's a source of pride because what happens again when we when we buy fish, it comes in in barrels and it's packed in ice and it's packed in metal tins mm-hmm. so that it stays you know, almost at exactly 32 degrees without freezing. Mm-hmm. We then unpack it, pack it back in ice, put it on our coolers, and cut. We have cutting tables in our coolers, so it never goes out of the cooler till it's ready to be served. Mm-hmm. And so they know that. They know a chef spends three to four hours in the in the cooler every day cutting the fish for that night, and and so they they that's a source of pride when it's a, a pride all the way down the line when we talk about the attention to detail, the the concern we have for the quality of the product, the concern we have for making sure that we're giving the guests the best that we can give them, and, and why, the best that's why is pride so important? You know, you got you have to you have to have something to believe in. I think, and and you know, you have I I have to be inspired every day, and and I want to work with people who are inspired as well. And and part of my job is to is to make sure they are inspired, and and that is setting a standard and and knowing that we're going to meet that standard every day with every meal that we serve. You just went full circle, man. I love it with that standard, with that mission, that mission statement, that that vision, that purpose. Uh, it all starts from the very beginning of letting people know what you're all about, and then the 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 tough part, which you just you know share with us, is living up to that standard and actually going through the motions and doing what you say you're going to do. But it's so important to take the time to write this down in a manual to spell it out, so then you know what to shoot for. You know what you're showing up every day to do, and you have that those specifics. It's so important. Um, and you said that you, you go over the seven steps. I'm curious, what are the seven steps of service? Oh, and now you're going to make me full of training. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the greet. You know, you, you have to greet your guest within one minute. And, and the fact there is once somebody's seated, I, I don't care that you're up there taking an order within one minute, but you acknowledge them and you let them know, sir, I'll be right with you. Uh, and I'm, I'm dropping drinks on this table. And, and to me, the, the, that's that's probably they're, they're two, the two most important moments are when people sit down and when people are ready to leave. And no one ever thinks about that. When you put the check down at the end, you be you you be ready to pick up that check within 30 seconds of when they put their credit card out or put their cash out, because that's what people remember. You know, there could be a slip up along the way. Something took a minute or two too long. But if you're taking care of them at the end, you know, you're pour, re-pouring coffee or you're making sure their water glasses are full, even though they're done with dinner, you don't forget about them. And, and I teach, you know, the servers, I want them to know this because 
that's when people are thinking about service and about what to tip. You know, they're getting ready to leave. Don't don't mess up at the last minute. You know, be very conscious in that last minute. Talk, you know, and no lag service. So you 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 the greet, the the taking the cocktail order, the service of the cocktail order appropriately. Uh, a menu presentation, talking about the menu, the appetite. Now, now that we've got the the tablet menus, that that is a very simple thing to do. It's more about teaching people how to use the tablet and and how to use it to their advantage and how to learn uh, once they once they've got their hands on it. People seem to really love it. Mm. And uh, and I'm know, excited. I'm excited to learn more about that tablet. We're gonna come back to that when I ask you about technology. Just. Just so you know, okay. some interesting stuff there. Um, so I, I, right now I've got uh, greet the uh, guests within one minute, take uh, the drink order, menu presentation. Uh, did I miss anything? That it's taking an appetizer order. Uh, and it's always, it's always when you leave the table, you never leave the table without letting the guests know where you're going. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, okay, I'm going to go get the drinks right now while you look over the menu. When I come back, we'll talk about the appetizers. And then you go get the drinks. And then you come back and you talk about the appetizers. If they don't want an appetizer, you talk about the the entrees. If they say they want a minute, give them their minute. If they want to to place the order, then you place. You know, part of it is. You know, we talk about this a lot. Is is the psychology of the table getting to read the table? Mm. Do they want a leisurely meal? Are they going to a movie? Are they going to a football game? You know, what what's going on? And mm-hmm. and making sure we give them the service the way they want the service. That's so right. then it, it's being the entree order. It's it's serving the entree. It's the it's the uh, entree check to make sure that everything's exactly as they ordered it. Uh, and, and, you know, as people are finishing up dinner, you know, it's hey, you know, I'll, I'll be back to talk about desserts when you're done, you know, start to put that idea in their, in their mind. And, and so again, checking back with them as they start to complete the meal, make sure that they're, they're, they're uh, they know they're being taken care of. And, and so much of this is, you know, we, we spend lots and lots of time talking about salesmanship and to me, salesmanship is making sure that that guest has the experience that they want to have, and and you're there to to help them through that. Mm-hmm. You're there to provide the information that they need to have a great experience as a as a server. And so each of those things, and then it's coming back. It's talking about the it's talking about desserts or after dinner drinks. Uh, you know, it's it's making sure that the plate they don't have anything on the table that they don't need for the next course. And then it's a check presentation at the time that it's appropriate, and you let them know, I'll take that whenever you're ready. No, I appreciate you going through that because I feel like sometimes, um, you know, it seems like it's obvious, but sometimes we kind of just start going through the motions, and over time our our procedures start to kind of uh, get a little loosey-goosey, you know. And it's kind of cool to hear from somebody who's such a an expert, somebody who is so accomplished to hear uh, from you every little thing that you're supposed to be doing. You have some really good nuggets in there. So I appreciate you taking the time to go through that with us. And I'm curious, how often do you train? Um, is there, do you guys have a training schedule? Um, and is it like a, is it like on a cycle where it repeats itself? Like how, how do you keep that training aspects uh, organized? Well, you know, once, once a restaurant is open, uh, you know, you're, you're training as you need employees. Uh, so, uh, you know, we have many of the restaurants have large patios where we'll hire summer help for the sake of argument. Uh, so we do some major trainings for that. But but once the training is done, we do pre-meal notes every single day. Okay, those, those are a training tool. Then mm-hmm. those get posted. Everybody initials those when they come into work so that they've <clears throat> they've read it. They know what's going on. They know 
any special uh, events, what, uh, what's going on in town. Uh, you know, we want them to know if there's uh, if there's a symphony at eight o'clock and we've got a lot of six o'clock reservations, they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, the other one is we do a weekly food show, so we do uh, specials at all of our restaurants every week. So they're, they're they come out on different days. Typically, it's Tuesday, mm-hmm. so everybody's required to come in at three o'clock for the food show each week, and they taste the specials for the week. They see them, they taste them. We talk about what wines might be good with those. We talk about any problems we might have had the week before, any issues to expect, anything that's going to happen this week. Uh, like in Ann Arbor this week is Art Fair. So that's a huge, this is a huge week for us here. And we've got six restaurants in Ann Arbor. So, you know, preparing for that. So it's, it's just, it's constant. We have uh, <clears throat> wine trainings that go on periodically. We'll bring, we'll bring suppliers in to do it. And I have a, a director of wine and spirits who does it as well. Or we'll have beer beer training, or we'll have spirits training. Uh, so there's there's always something going on. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I'm curious about: um, somebody who owns 20 restaurants, uh, you know, you started out with one, then two, and three uh, over the, you know, you grew pretty quickly. But I'm curious, how do you duplicate yourself? Uh, we had David Long on the show. Uh, great uh, advice about how you need to duplicate yourself, essentially develop people to replace you so you can go on and work on different projects and grow the company. Um, talk us through how you did that, how you and your partners d- developed these people to duplicate yourselves. Well, I think, I think the, uh, I think it was the best, the best way to say this. <laughs> uh, I think there's a couple ways that we do this. Well, uh, you know, we promote from within. Uh, in, in management, our average manager has been with us nine years, and I've got uh, a manager who's been with us since the first restaurant, and and she's been so she's been with us thirty some years now, and and so the, the that's where you you maintain the culture and the commitment. And uh, but eighty percent of our managers started in an hourly capacity with us. And, and I would bet that probably like me, when they first took the job, they never thought they were going to have a career in the restaurant industry, mm. but, but they got, they got hooked. So the great thing about promoting from within is that, you know, in advance what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, and when you hire someone outside the company, you have to figure it out. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> you know, you know what you're, you know what you're dealing with, you know what they need, you know what they need from you to help them succeed. And, you know, I, I think, the, the difference between a, a, an independent company like mine and some of the some of the big change that staggers me is the rate of growth that they have. Because to me, <clears throat> we don't open a restaurant till we have a management team, and, and by that I mean you know it, it, as as people develop as assistant managers or someone in the kitchen's coming up through the kitchen, and they're developing, I, I want to give them a vehicle for growth, but you know, I'm not driven to open restaurants. I'm, I'm driven to provide people opportunities now. I mean, it's not, it's not about money. It's, it's, it's about wanting to continue to do a great job and not trying to, to just grow for the sake of growth. And, and so we've seen some people that with us wouldn't make it as an assistant manager that two weeks later or a general manager at one of the big chains. And I, I don't understand it, yeah. but Oh, it's it's maybe it's just how we look at it. You and, said something so, really interesting. And I want to put emphasis on this. Um, you said that you're not looking about. For you, it seems like you're more about 
providing the opportunity. So within your restaurant groups, are there people um, scheming and planning and uh, coming up with concepts on their own? And then are they coming to you and saying, hey, boss, uh, this is my dream. This is my vision. Um, do, do, are you investing in their visions and giving them the tools much like uh, Dieter was to you? No, I have I have done that, but I've done it differently. I've helped people start out start their own companies, mm-hmm. and and so. But mo- most of most of the people with us are trying to build a career within this company, uh, and you know we have we have really four or five concepts. And as I said, it's <clears throat> the, the biggest difference may be the menu, but the system itself is is very very similar. You know, you know once you look under the hood of the car, and and so. Uh, you know, some of the technical skills, you know, the kitchen skill may be very, very different for a chef in an Italian restaurant and a chef in the, say, a steakhouse, uh, the skill level or the, or, or the background that they need. But uh, other than that, the way they operate is the same in both of those restaurants. Uh, so I, I think I got off track there. I don't think I answered your question. No, you, you give us some valuable advice. I, I mean, I think um, one of the things I've noticed just interviewing all, all these people is that uh, they're constantly looking to provide outlets or channels for people to their talented team. They know that these people that they've invested in are going to go on and, and open their own place someday. That that's a lot of the people who get into this industry who who are serious about this this career are going to become uh, GMs or manager or you know owners. Um, right. And instead of uh, you know, having them go on and do it on their own, that's an opportunity for you to invest in human equity and to grow your restaurant group laterally and take on more partners who and give them that ownership of what they're doing. And I think that's a really common trait. And I was curious if that's something that happens with you and way, your, your restaurant group. Yeah, the way the way we do that is, is a little bit different, but we, we have bonus systems in place for all the managers <clears throat> so they don't have to invest to participate in the profit. Okay. Uh, and, you know, we had... Just this past year, we had a, a general manager's bonus was over seventy thousand dollars. So, wow. uh, if 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 you are operating at a, at a at a highly efficient and proper level, there is some tremendous reward. Your your bonus should be at minimum twenty five percent of your overall income, and and in some cases as much as fifty percent or even more. Wow, I'm curious. Somebody in, who's in your position as a CEO, what's your day look like? It never looks the same. <laughs> so, you know, in, in what what, ha- what happens now, I have a director of operations. Uh, so it, re- it really has given me a lot of freedom. So I, I will tell you this morning, I had a 730 meeting in, in, uh, in Toledo, Ohio, and I'm on a, a steering committee trying to create uh, an after-school program for inner city of Toledo, Ohio. So that was an hour meeting. And then I had a meeting at the ProMedica uh, headquarters in Toledo, uh, looking at a, a location uh, in one of their buildings, and then I came to the office and had lunch with my my uh, director of operations and and my executive chef. And about what were you that time, about? Uh, went over. We're looking at uh, you know the first half year is done. How 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 our EBITDA looked versus last year, and uh, looked at at. Uh, Sales. I've talked about sales. Talked about you know some some issues we're having at a particular restaurant and how we're going to solve them and 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 uh, and that sort of thing. Awesome. 
Great. And the reason why I asked this, uh, Mike, is because I feel like so many times uh, people on a smaller scale restaurant, um, they get too caught up working in their restaurants. Um, and I think there's uh, a lot of benefit from treating your restaurant like a, a massive restaurant group where if you are the owner, you should be basically delegating all the day-to-day tasks to people in your restaurant so you can do those things like go to your local school and uh, maybe work on like a, a thing where you bring students into the, the, the restaurant industry and you start maybe even, uh, you know, getting people into your, your system earlier, like you educating and mentoring young people in your community or just showing people about the restaurant industry. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like this, to yeah, be able to, yeah, to work on your restaurant and to engage with the community and to, constantly be improving and spending your your time and your energy on improving and never you know that 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 constant pursuit of perfection um and i feel like that's what a ceo does am i am i off by saying that no i think i think that's right i i, I think you know it's it, at some point i don't want to say it quite like this you're like the queen of england maybe <laughs> uh, but you know you're 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 you become pretty high profile in the community and and i work on you know, a lot of my time is working on volunteering now. And, you know, one thing, our our restaurants are committed to being great citizens in the community. Every restaurant has at least one charity that they're involved in. And the managers and the, and the, and the team of the restaurant get to pick them. But, you know, we, we have one restaurant that's opened on Thanksgiving Day and we feed the homeless and we serve 1,200 meals that day. And we have uh, four, four restaurants up here. We do a fundraiser every year for Mott's Children's Hospital. And we're raising four or five hundred thousand for them. And you know, I, I'm I'm on a number of boards, but all all not not <laughs> not that I'm getting a paycheck from. They're all uh, you know, Lord's University, Kids Unlimited, uh, you know, the Michigan Restaurant Association, the National Restaurant Association, the National Restaurant Association Ed Foundation, and so you know, I want I want to be very active in our communities. I want the managers to be very high profile and. Uh, I want them to know that that we're, the community supports us, so we're there to support the community. Mm, awesome. Um, we've gotten some great advice from you so far. I, I'd love to get a failure before we go on to the speed round. Um, so, can you think of a time like where you, you just you know fell hard on your backside with a failure, uh, and then you know just bring us through that failure, what you learned, and how you got back up? Well, you know, I've had a restaurant fail more than once, um, and. You know, it, it, to be honest with you, it's like it's like how many times? I'm curious. Uh, four, I think, through the years. It's still four a really good success rate. One out, of, four out of twenty. I mean, or four out of twenty-four. That's a that's that's better than most people. Yeah. So, but it, you know, it's 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 so hard to go through it. It's it's like losing a member of the family, and and uh, you know, when when you when you build a restaurant from scratch i mean as i said before you put your heart and soul in it you you control everything from the way it looks the way it feels the the lighting the music the menu the and and you're connected to the people that are hired to work so it's you know i always think a failure is a rule a result of a bad decision and it's not necessarily bad execution you can do the right thing in the wrong place the wrong thing in the right so and either way you know Sometimes people ask me after something fails, well, what what happened? And I'd say, if I knew, I would have prevented it. Can you and, can you pick one restaurant um, where maybe you had a good inclination as to what it was that went wrong and why it didn't work, and kind of bring us through that specific example? Well, I can give you one that was really really simple. Uh, Richmond, Virginia. <clears throat> we opened a restaurant in a new center, 
and I got an education in a health club. They, they built a 30,000 square foot health club right behind our building. <clears throat> I didn't realize that people worked out at eight in the morning or at five o'clock. And at five o'clock, every single parking spot would be full till seven or 7.30. And there was no parking for our guests. So they drive to the parking lot and go somewhere else. Oh man. And so it's like, I felt like we did everything right. The food was great. The service was great, but we couldn't get people in there. Oh, what a pain. And uh, yeah, so. This just goes to show that you've got to like pay attention to every little detail. There's really not a detail you can overlook. Well, parking became, parking became one thing that became very, very important to me going forward. I bet. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back for you to drop some bombs of knowledge on us. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. We're back. The first question I have for you, Mr. Gibbons, what is uh, an it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic, uh, something you believe most contributes to your success? You know, I I think we kind of touched on this earlier, Eric. I think it's probably that focus and tenacity Mm -hmm. and understanding success isn't a given and doing the work that I need to do to make sure that I am successful, uh, you know, by, by building that system taking the time to build the system that's going to support whatever we do. I love that. Taking the time to build the system that you, you know, supports what it is you have to do. And I think that's where so many people go wrong and why they never grow beyond that one location because they create people dependent restaurants and not system dependent restaurants. So, uh, and again, the, the focus and tenacity huge. So what is your biggest weakness then? (laughs) Um, you know, I, I, I'd say that, being too slow to let people go that aren't a good fit has been a weakness. Uh, I always feel like I can save everybody, uh, you know, and I'm not sure I can, that I have overcome it. Uh, but when it happens, you know, I, I know that someone who's been given a chance to do the job been given the tools to do the job and, and doesn't perform generally doesn't fail on purpose. It's not like they're trying to do it. Mm-hmm. So most likely their skill set and our needs just aren't a fit. Mm. So I, I, when, when the time comes, you know, I have to make sure that I know that keeping that person in a position not only hurts our organization, but, but hurts them too. It keeps them to, from finding something that's a fit, something that they'd love to do and better suits their talents. Absolutely. That's the best way to look at it. And I think that, I mean, that's something that I, I could see myself struggling with in the future because it, it, like people who are successful in this industry, they, 
they're generally they're good people. And if they see somebody who's a good person who's trying and giving it their best, they don't want to give up on that person, like you said. And you, but you're really not do like you said, you're not doing that person any favors. Um, if you can see their strengths and you can see their weaknesses, and they're not, you know, they're not exercising their strengths with you, help them find what's best for them. Don't hold them back. That's the best, like the best thing you can do for them. I, I love, I love that. Um, so, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Uh, you know, on your, in your notes to me, you said the secret and there's no secret. I don't think, uh, you know, there's a quote I read, I think it might be Eisenhower. I'm not sure who said it, but it said leadership is getting others to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Mm. And to me, that means that you're working with people who not only understand your vision, but they share it. You know, that's been good communication and they believe in it. And our mission statement, I mentioned before, it's posted in every one of our restaurants. It's in the office in about four different spots. But, you know, our, our mission is to consistently exceed guest expectations by providing memorable dining experiences in creative and distinctive restaurants. In order to do that, every single member of the team needs to buy in. And, and so that's what's so critical for us here. So I, I, leadership is about sharing your vision with people so that they want that vision. They want that to be theirs and making it theirs. So how do you create a compelling vision that gets people to want to be a part of it? I think it's everything that we do. I think it's, it's setting a great example. I think it's uh, making sure they understand what our standards are. I think it's all part of the training that we've talked about. You know, there's, there's numerous pieces of it. Uh, But, you know, you want, you want people to be proud to go to the restaurant where they're working and saying, this is, if, if it's a seafood restaurant, <clears throat> it's the best seafood restaurant in town. And they're proud of the fact that they work there. And they like to tell people that they work there. Awesome. Uh, if it's the steakhouse, then it's the same way. It's best steakhouse in town, and they're proud of it. Awesome. Uh, what is one question or thing that you look for during an interview? Um, attitude. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. My first, my first question is always to ask a person – in their own words, to tell me about themselves. <clears throat> and there are so many clues in what they, what they say, you almost don't need to ask any other questions. You just keep probing into that. And generally, people start with what's most important. The first thing out of their mouth is generally what really is important to them. So uh, you, you kind of zero in on that, and you learn what they value. You learn what's impacted their lives, both personally and at work. Uh, you learn about their education. You learn about their likes, their dislikes, particularly when it comes to jobs and experiences they've had. Mm-hmm. You learn how they, they've grown from their life experiences. And as I say, I hire attitudes. I want to hire happy people. I want to hire outgoing people. I want to have people with with a, a positive attitude and a can-do attitude. And that's that's the most important thing to me. Is there any particular place you look to find these people? Or when you were first getting started, when you weren't so well-known um, and you were going to really look for a particular type of server or uh, back-of-house person, is there a place you went, like a school or a community that you'd go to source these people? Well, yeah, there, there were a lot of places, but, but it, it depended on the community and everything. And now, and now I'm in a different situation where I'm, <clears throat> I'm rarely – I, I want to say, yeah, it's true. I'm rarely interviewing – someone who doesn't already work for me. Mm-hmm. So I already know a lot about that person. And, but then it's a matter of seeing if the skill sets, the fit for the, the job that's open. 
but you know we're we're in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you know we have very few people that work for University of Michigan, but Eastern Michigan and Wasner Community College are greater resources for us. Mm-hmm. And I used to I used to teach uh, food and beverage at uh, Wasner Community College, and that helped us get people from there. Awesome. And and now you know <laughs> I hire a lot of a lot of uh, kids of, of friends of mine. You know so. Uh, but yeah, there, every every town you, you you look for you look for the places where you can find uh, kids that that you, you want to hire people that that need work and want to work and like to work mm-hmm. and that's the goal. Awesome. Uh, what's one current challenge you're dealing with right now, uh, and how are you dealing with it? Well, you know, I'd say there's a, a number of headwinds today, but <clears throat> probably most notably right now is is finding quality employees in some of the markets we're in. And almost as big as that is government regulation. It's intrusion into business. Uh, the cost of doing business continues to escalate, even though our food and beverage costs are fairly stable. But health care and labor costs have skyrocketed and will continue to do so. So, so those, those are our challenges. So how are you dealing with those challenges? Well, so so much of it, again, is, is really fine-tuning what we do and, and – honing in and improving and uh, trying not to, you know, I don't mind passing a cost off to a customer, but I don't want to pass off an inefficiency. Mm. So before we raise a menu price, I want to make sure that we're raising the menu price for the right reason, not just because we're not doing everything we should be doing. Mm. That's part of it. Uh, You know, we, we, we bid out uh, our with with our main supplier, you know, we we were at Cisco for 30 years, and we're with Gordon Foods now for the last. It's our fourth year with them, <clears throat> but you know that's part part of a bidding process. We bid it out every three years. Uh, we we uh, bid out all all the healthcare issue. You know, the healthcare. I mean, it's it's up 11 percent this year, but you know, some bids we got were 18 percent or 17 percent versus last year, so it, it continues to escalate. But we do, yeah, we do everything we can to, to bid that out and make sure we're getting the best price for the best product. I'm curious. So you said one of your challenges is sourcing uh, talented people for the back of the house, um, or maybe the front of the house too. But what do you think? What what do you think the reason is for that? Why do you think there's a shortage of talent right now? What's the core of that? Well, you know, I, I don't know. You know, it depends on on what you want to read statistically. There's supposed to be a lot of people out of work. But if they are, they're not. They're not looking for work. Right. And you know, we went we went through an opening in Toledo not long ago, and and uh, you know the unemployment rate they said was ten percent, but we we had a heck of a time finding help there. And and so I, I'm not sure why what the reason is. I'm not sure if there are more people that don't want to work, or if there are more people that don't need to work. But there there definitely are less people applying for jobs. So, um, what's one thing you do really well in your restaurant aside from food that you think can you know contributes to your success? Well, you know, I'll give you two. I've it's one already. We promote from within. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that's just critical uh, to, to success, to culture, to to letting people know that they have opportunities with us. Uh, and then two, I think the commitment to the communities where we do business. Each mm-hmm. one of our restaurants, you know, adopts a charity, at least one. And and all the staffs actively actively engaged in that. And you know, right now, uh, this past year, we raised over two million dollars 
uh, in the year for organization. Wow. That's awesome. That's that's a, that's a big number that's for incredible. a company. Ours. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I think sometimes people get it backwards and uh, they look at their, their community t- as people to serve them. Like they're there to hope that their community is serving them by buying their food and, you know, supporting their family. But, and if you want it to, you know, if you want to get anywhere in this career, you, you've got to turn it around. You've got to think about how can I serve everyone around me? How can I turn that, that hierarchy of, you know, everyone that works for me? How can I even like turn it to my employees? Like, how can I serve my employees? It's that, that attitude of giving, like you shared in that, your initial quotes, right? Uh, I couldn't yep. agree more with you. So, um, what's one book that's a must read for anybody looking to own a restaurant or just be a better version of themselves in this industry. And I'm excited for this because you said that you love to read. So what do you have for us? Okay, I'm going to tell you an old, an old, old book, and it's Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I just finished that book. It's awesome. I wish I'd read it before I started in the business. It's yeah. so simple, but so impactful and just so like, almost like, duh, you know, like, like it's yeah. like, it's, it's a must read. Absolutely. And plus, because this industry is so focused on influencing people, that's what we do every day. We're influencing and impacting others. It's such a, a people heavy Book. What's one lesson from that book that is a real just like uh, you know there there was a, in, in, it's been I bet you it's been twenty years since I read it but <clears throat> there was a segment in there of a father looking in on his son who was asleep and he didn't have time for him oh yeah and that hit me so hard uh, because being in this business it's tough to have balance that I took that page out of that book and I sent it to all my brothers and sisters. And uh, because my youngest brothers are both attorneys and they were working tons of hours. And, and, uh, and when, you, when I read that, I mean, I, it, it just choked me up and, and it made me realize that, you know, I hadn't led the most balanced life when it really came down to it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that book, I mean, so many incredible lessons there. Um, I'll have the link to the show notes. That book is on uh, or is inaudible or, or on audible so if you uh, head over to restaurant com slash two five four you'll find the links to that book or head over to audible trial.com slash unstoppable if you're not already an audible member you can get that book for free i've partnered with audible and you will uh, it will change your life i'm telling you uh audiobooks have changed my life whenever you're in a car like like mike said earlier he was listening to audiobooks that hour drive like you can literally turn your car into a university and just start making yourself more valuable every day uh audiobooks are huge so um what are your thoughts on audiobooks just curious i i love them i mean i i i whenever i'm traveling i'm listening to a book. yeah it's so impactful <clears throat> Um, so what's one piece of technology you've adopted in, uh, or using in your restaurant and how is it influencing your operations? And I'm excited about this question because you already kind of alluded to it earlier. And that's actually how I connected with you, uh, Eric Arsenault. Uh, when I met him in Chicago, I asked him, who's one person you think I should get on the show that could be a great guest mentor. And he recommended you. Um, and he is your partner, uh, with, uh, menu, not I menu, uh, but I'm sorry. Menu tech. Yes. I menu yeah, Eric's president of that company. And, and you know, I, I'll give you two. And one, one goes back a couple of years. And we, use a, we have a central reservation system. I don't know of many people. I don't know of anybody our size that does that. And what, what happened is you'd go into the restaurant, <clears throat> and there'd be two or three hosts or hostesses there. And they're hanging on the phone. They're trying to greet people. They're trying to seat people and putting people on hold, and it was just crazy. And I said, there's just got to be a better way to do this. 
I want people when they walk in the restaurant to have the undivided attention of the people working at that front door. And I want the people on the phone to have the undivided attention of the people that have called in, you know, so uh, we, we went to a central reservation system where you call a number and it comes to our office here in Ann Arbor. You're talking to someone who's sitting in a quiet room. They can talk to you about the menu. They can talk to you about a special occasion. They can give you directions and so on. And, and then when you go to the restaurant, that's not the phone's not ringing off the hook. There aren't people running around. They can't look you in the eye when you walk in the front door. So uh, a lot of people said, boy, you must save a lot of money with that. Well, we don't save any money, but it enhances the guest experience. And that was the most important thing, yeah. both the come to the door and the people that make the phone call. And then the second thing we've talked about quite a bit today is the tablet menu. And we have tablet menus at all of our restaurants now. We save money on these. We save lots of trees. <laughs> we provide more information and more accurate information to our guests. We compare food and wine. We increase our check average. We sell out all our special events. We don't clutter our tables with marketing, you know, table tents and that sort of thing. And we've drastically increased our gift certificate sales. So I'm curious, been- like, um, what made you want to take this leap? Like, because I, one thing I'm a huge advocate for is uh, digital menu boards, like in quick service restaurants or fast casual restaurants, like the, the big TVs, because like you said, like it's expensive to replace those massive menus and to make the changes if you're changing prices, or if you're adding items, um, it, it, it's, it gets expensive to, to change your menus, especially if there's those big, like those big, like massive menus that you have, like at like a, a quick service restaurant. But one thing I'm worried about with tablets, uh, do you have an issue with uh, theft or anything like that? No, and, and that part of the reason is, uh, it's funny, we did have one, one incident, but uh, part of the reason is we went with an Android-based tablet so okay. that we could hear it. it. It has no use outside the restaurant, or if we went with an Apple product, we couldn't do that because they have their proprietary stuff on it. We can't take it off. So we can we can clear out the Android tablet. We can make it not work if you take it out of the restaurant, uh, and and so that that has not been an issue for us. And, and there's there's so many good things about it. It's like if we run out of an item in the middle of the night, we can just absolutely make it disappear from the menu. Oh, and so somebody yeah. coming in, you know, you don't have the service. And, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of that. Well, it's not even on the menu, so they can't order it. No more and, 86 and, this or 86 that. Um, what about like in the middle of a service? Can you just like take it away right in the middle of a service? Yeah, you just you disappear. You can make it disappear from the menu. Oh, cool. And, and if we would have a huge spike in beef prices from our office, we could change the menus across the company. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a matter of minutes without any expense whatsoever. And one thing so – there... sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, as, as I said, some of the – these are not things that we thought about necessarily in advance, but some of the unintended consequences have been they far outweighed the intended consequences. And one thing you shared with me earlier during the pre-interview chat is uh, that you are able to upsell or suggestive sell, do a lot of do a lot of suggestive sales because of an algorithm that was put together where basically, um, if I mean I'm not I, that goes beyond my scope, but how ha- have uh, sales increased because of this ability to kind of auto auto suggest or ups, upsell. Yeah, the, the, it was interesting to us because this wasn't something we anticipated. We saw check averages uh, across the company go up a little over a dollar. Okay. So some concepts, it's quite a bit more than that and some a, a little bit less, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the digging into that saying, well, what, what is causing this? We found out people were looking at this thing called pairing pro where 
they'd look at an appetizer and you, you touch the screen and the picture of that appetizer comes up. And then right along the bottom is a scroll bar that pairs that appetizer with up to 10 wines. And it, it tells you the price. It tells you, uh, in, and it ranks them. This would be number one, number two, number three. So what we found out, we were selling an extra half a glass of wine to everybody who came in the restaurant. And the only thing that made sense is they were testing the pairing pro. And so they wanted to try that. And so they maybe were going to order a bottle of wine with dinner if there's a couple people there. But they wanted to try this pairing pro with their appetizer. So, you know, there, there were different things like that. Then the other thing we noticed is we were selling more desserts. And, and that was, uh, you know, some, my wife does this. She starts, at, she starts with desserts, and then she decides what she's going to have for a meal. So she'll go through and, 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 and look at the dessert menu. All of a sudden, you have this dessert that sounds delicious, but then you touch it and you see the picture of it. And it, it just kind of sells itself. You know, the people make up their mind they're going to have dessert when, when they're done before they even start their meal. Now, are you doing all the photography? Is there video incorporated with this too? Can you tap a, an image or a menu item and have a video of it? Or is it just still picture? It's still, it's still pictures. And, and I don't know the answer to that. What I, my guess is we probably could do a video, but, but we haven't. Uh, right. And yes, we do it all in-house. We awesome. do... Uh, uh, you know, we're using iMenuTech and Menuvative, and, and they're providing the software, and, and we actually get our tablets through them as well. And then I have someone in-house who is a is a kind of an amateur photographer. She's our receptionist too, uh, and and she's a she's a foodie, so she's she's multi-talented, and she, and she takes care of all that. And so you're, she, you're she, not absorbing any additional costs. Was the point that I'm trying no. to get. Like you don't have to go and get a professional photographer, and you can handle most of no. this in-house. And when you do that, when you provide opportunity for somebody to really um, showcase their skills and their passions, you're going to make them more happy. They're going to feel like they're a greater uh, contributor to the, the the business, and they're going to. I mean, that's going to make them feel better. And um, yeah, she loves. She gets out. She gets to get out of the office. She gets to taste a lot of food too. Awesome. So she really. Great. Um, and I'm curious, um, how, what say for like a, I don't know, like a, a 50 seat restaurant, that's pretty average size. Like what would the cost of implementing a, a service like this be for a restaurant about that size? Well, you'd probably pay, you know, you'd, you'd probably want 25 tablets, half as many as, as there are seats. Mm-hmm. So the, the initial investment was, you know, here, here was a headwind for that company, the, the initial investment of buying the tablets. So we partnered with a leasing company, so you can lease a tablet for I don't, seven or eight dollars a month in over three years and own it, and then the software varies based on the size of the company. So it might be another five or six dollars a month. <clears throat> but we found out we were spending thirteen thousand dollars a year in each of the seafood restaurants because we printed the menus once a week, and and so the cost of the stock that we're using, the cost of the, you know, figuring out the printing, that we have a massive printer that, that had to be maintained here at the office, and the time that someone spent doing it, and then FedExing the menus out to all the restaurants, this is, is actually cheaper than what we were doing before and gives us 10 times the flexibility. Wow. Um, yeah, um, this really has my interest, and I, I'm really curious to learn more. I'm going to have to reconnect with Eric over there, maybe even 
schedule another chat with you in the future to talk about all the benefits. I think we just scratched the surface, but just a, a few other things I'm thinking of, of before we move on is that another thing that this type of service does is it creates a unique selling proposition for you um, because people, you know, especially kids, uh, it's, it separates you from other restaurants. People, you know, like that little something extra or that, that different experience and any way you can separate yourself and create a unique factor for your restaurant. It's a good thing. Um, and that's just one other, you know, additional thing I think that's worth throwing out there. Um, do you have, do you want to add to that at all or? You know, you know, the interesting thing was, you know, we, we thought we'd have a problem in Naples, Florida, you know, because I bet our, our, our clientele down there, the average age is probably 70. And so we were concerned about this. And I, I can remember my mother lives down there and, and, uh, I was telling her about our product and she's going, Oh, I don't think I'd like that. I don't like that technology stuff. And I said, well, what's your biggest complaint when you go to a restaurant? She says, well, they're always too dark. Well, and I said, I took this menu and I showed it to her and she loved it. She says, Oh my gosh, I can read everything. I get pictures. I can see it. And, and so we put uh, Naples where I was most concerned. It's been probably the biggest hit there. Oh, wow. Awesome. This is another benefit I didn't even think of. That's really cool. Uh, awesome. So with all the knowledge you have now, Mike, if you could go back in time, um, say to 1979, and give your past version uh, you know, one piece of business advice, what would it be? Keep the main thing the main thing. And, and by that, I mean, don't, don't get sidetracked. Uh, you know, we have ventured out into things we didn't fully understand, and the result didn't do well with those. And it, and that wasn't really the issue, but it took our our eye off the core business. Mm. We thought we were going to get in the coffee shop business uh, 15 years ago. It looked so easy, and then when you get into it, it's just as difficult as running a restaurant without the upside. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it probably it probably cost us. Uh, uh, what what it would have cost to build three or four restaurants? Uh, you know, we got you know we had five or six coffee shops and ended up selling those off and and then got back to what we did. And so I, I think that that's the one thing: keep the main thing the main thing. Awesome. Uh, what is one question I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this interview? Well, I can't think of anything. You kind of <laughs> nailed me to the wall here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were amazing. Uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we went over our agreed-upon time, so I do thank you for that. Thank you for uh, being generous with your time. And um, we wrap up every episode, Mike, by having you call somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry that I think would be a great guest mentor on the show for us like you have been for us today? Uh, well, I can give you a couple names, uh, but probably Cameron Mitchell. Uh, he's out of Columbus, and he owns a company called Ocean Prime. Uh, but he was Mitchell Seafood Restaurants, and he sold those to uh, to Ruth's Chris, and then started Ocean Prime. All right, Cameron <clears throat> Mitchell, look out! I'm coming after you. Did you say you had one or, or, or two? Well, another guy might be Phil Hickey, and Phil Phil is a, a Michigan State grad. He's done a lot of things in his life. He's worked for some big companies. He's been CEO of some big companies. I think he, he might be uh, chairman of the board of Miller's Ale House right now. Uh, he's invested in a lot of startups, and he's just a, he's just a uh, I'll call it a cesspool of knowledge. <laughs> All right. Well, Cameron Mitchell and Phil Hickey, look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. With it, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you someone that you would really enjoy talking to is, is the chair, not the chairman, the president of the National Restaurant Association. Her name's Dawn Sweeney. And uh, 
she she's one of the best leaders I've ever seen. Uh, just a very very quality person, and uh, she's from Maine, so she's right right down the street from. <laughs> and uh, and just a very very talented person. Uh, and if you got to know her, I mean, she, she could open a lot of doors for you, too. All right, Don Sweeney, look out. You're added to the list. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know, Mike, how can we connect with you or your restaurant group if uh, you've inspired us, if, you, if we're in the Ann Arbor area and we want to come join your team to get mentored by people like yourself? What's the best way to connect? Well, probably the, the absolute best way is just go to our website, msventures.com. And, and uh, you can you can find about our menus. You can find about our different concepts. You can see our cookbook, and and uh, and it will also tell you how to get in touch with us, or you can call the office at seven three four six six eight six zero six two. Awesome. I will have uh, the, that phone number, those links in the show notes, links to uh, the book you recommended, to uh, Menuvative, all right there in the show notes. This is Restaurant Unstoppable, episode. 254. So just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 254. You'll find those links. And Mike, thank you so, so much for taking the time to contribute to this melting pot of mentors. There's no questioning. You, sir, are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. (laughs) Cheers. What an awesome interview today with Mike Gibbons. Two things that really stood out to me today were just that advice to go get somebody on your team who is doing amazing things like he did with Dieter or go work for that person and surround yourself with that greatness. It will help you just get ahead in life. And also uh, being clear about your mission and then creating those systems and processes to serve your mission. And then once you got those systems and processes down, use that as your framework, your chassis like he calls it, and, and just build off those in the different concepts you build in your career and uh, and just growing as a, a restaurant group. Now on a more personal note, um, some things I need to do better and some things I got away from. Uh, I got really excited to bring Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. I really wanted to grow and I really wanted to uh, just be as you know, awesome as I could be. And the way to do that sometimes is you need to get sponsors. You need to make some money so you can invest back into whatever you're trying to do. And I let that kind of distract me from what really matters. And what really matters is making those meaningful, impactful relationships with the people you connect with every day. And I got really stressed out about trying to find the right sponsor and trying to create these relationships with the people that can give me the money to make this podcast better. But you know what? Screw that. I'm focusing on the people in the industry who are doing awesome things and and just making about connecting with those people on a real human level and pulling out of them as much as possible that I can, so I can help you in your restaurants. And if I'm really good at that, and if I'm really good at just being human, transparent, uh, warm, generous with, you know, helping you, those opportunities will come to me. And the, the one piece of advice that comes up often, so often on the show is just be patient. So uh, don't go chasing money in your career. Just be patient and stick to your core values, your vision, whatever it is that lights you up inside. And what lights me up inside is just meeting people, networking, and just you know learning and staying curious and knowing that my work is helping others. So that's going to be my focus um, from now on. Uh, and if you guys see me staring off course, call me out. <laughs> Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, Please, 
<laughs> all right. That's all I have today, guys. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>